When I first heard that song that Landon just sang about two years ago, there was lots of lyrics that sort of jumped out at me. But the one that I think really struck me, and I was like, man, I've got to think about this for a long time, is, is this one I'm put up on the screen. The more I buy, the more I'm bought. The more I'm bought, the less I cost. And I, and I just thought, man, there, there's something in that. There's something in this, like, if I get more and more, it somehow... Uh, and I'm not all sure how, and I need to think through the implications, but if the more I buy, the, the more something gets devalued in the culture, in the currency, in, in me. The more I buy, the more I kind of sell out. The more I acquire stuff, the more I teach myself that my job is just to acquire stuff. The more I get bigger, better, more. I teach myself that that's what is really matters in life. The more I buy, the more I become a, a cog in the machine. The more I buy, the more I lay out that wallet and that credit card, the more I think I'm just a consumer who's here to acquire things. And something's broken in all of that. Something's not right there. And, 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 and that, that whole idea has just sort of challenged me. I, 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 think of my, I start thinking of myself as a consumer rather than as a creative person or as an artist or at least a conservationist. Uh, I, I don't think in those terms. I just think I'm supposed to like build up the GDP of a country. And maybe all of that is a way of, of getting at this question. What if the stuff we have ends up having us? What if the stuff we have, the things we buy, the things we acquire, what if that stuff just ends up owning us? We've already seen that. We've already seen it to some degree. We talked about it a couple weeks ago with, with a phone. You can have a smartphone and it's a great trinket, it's a great toy, but it ends up owning you in some way. You end up being addicted to it, a slave to it. You're addicted to the, the dopamine hit that comes from the text message. And the, and, the, and the, oh, let me just check and see if anyone commented or see if I got a like on the Instagram photo. We're addicted to that stuff. And we think we own it, but it ends up owning us. And in the process, devalues us and, and shapes us and forms us in, in not a good way. And we can be addicted like that to so many things, to to technology, to, to a phone, to, to drugs, to, to sex, to, to food. We, we, we can develop those addictions and we think we're in control of them, but in a lot of ways, they end up controlling us. And all of those things, what they ask us to do, what they require us to do is to get more and more to still feel good. They are relentless in their pursuit of, of getting us to, to consume more. And this consumption, this, this internet addiction, all of those things, this is a problem for us. It's a problem. A full one-third of marriages that end in divorce, in the legal paperwork about their divorce, they include the, words, the word Facebook. Isn't that crazy? It's weird, right? Like people are connecting with old flames and stuff, and then it just spirals out of control. And the people who invented Facebook had this utopian idea that we would be all connected all across the world, and they never really stopped to ask, is that a good idea? Is it really a good idea? They're asking it now. They're sort of like, oh, hey, let's pump the brakes here a second. Is this really good that we are actually that connected? Can the human brain handle that kind of stuff? So we consume, we get more and more, we go after all sorts of trinkets, and it, and it changes us, it devalues us, it, it hurts us in some way. As a culture, as, a, as Americans, the average American household lives on 117% of their income. You tracking with that? 117% of their income. That means the richest country in the world, and it's still not enough for us. We've got to have more. We've got to extend out beyond what we can actually afford to get it whatever it is, to get the next thing. We have to have more. We have to strive. And so we work hard to get more money to get more things. Um, and you, 
and, and, it's, and it's crazy, the consumption of material things. I, I heard this the other day. Do you know what the number one tourist spot is in Virginia? So many choices, right? Virginia's beautiful. Shenandoah, Williamsburg's fun, right? The Virginia Beach is a beach. Uh, but, uh, and I used to live there, so I can say that. Uh, Virginia Beach, uh, you know, Old Town Alexandria, like Natural Bridge. Like, there's so many great things in Virginia. But in terms of foot traffic, of the number one place that people outside of Virginia come into to visit, it is the Potomac Mills Mall in Woodbridge. Don't you feel dirty right now? 1.6 million square feet of mall, and that is the thing that so many people outside of Virginia would know Virginia for. What is going on there? What is going on with our, with our desire to consume more, to, to acquire? Um, how did we get to be the country that is 3% of the world's population but consumes 25% of the world's resources? There's just something in this culture that's baked in that says acquire more, get more stuff, use more. Um, and, and that shapes us. What we do, how we live shapes us. When we make purchases, that shapes us. It shapes us as much, it forms our character as much as what we believe. I mean, you can believe that working out is a really bad idea. You can believe that. But if you go actually do it and you work out consistently, it reshapes your body. It's just a fact. It doesn't matter what you believe there. You can believe that certain foods are good or bad, but if you avoid the bad ones and eat the good ones, that reshapes you and and changes things about you. You can believe that you use your cell phone too much, but if you do use it anyway, it doesn't matter what you believe about it, it shapes you and forms you and trains you uh, in certain certain ways. You can believe that... um, Buying stuff is probably not such a great idea around Christmas or, or getting crazy into it is a little overboard at Christmas. But if you go out and just do it and you buy and you consume and you get into that, that whole rat race American culture thing of like consume more and more, bigger and better, um, it shapes you and it changes what you think about what it means to, uh, to be a, a, human, a human being. It actually uh, changes us. And so if I could put all this together into a modern problem, because this series is called Ancient Answers to Modern Problems, I would say our culture encourages us to be greedy. Our culture encourages us to be, to, to be greedy and to grab stuff. And it encourages us to grab stuff that ultimately will never really satisfy us, because I think deep down we know that the stuff doesn't quite get you there, but it encourages us to keep going and getting it because they can sell it to us. And we know it. We, we say that chocolate cake's going to be amazing. It's called impact bias. We think it's going to be amazing, and it's kind of amazing. And, and it was the last time you had it as well, but we forget, and we just sort of, oh, this is going to be incredible, and it's not quite good enough, so you, maybe you'll get it next time, and it'll be even better. And so we consume in order to be happy, even though that's not where happiness comes from. We don't, we don't desire to be rich for rich sake. We just think that money will get us the happiness, and, and happiness and consumption just sort of get con- conflated together in our culture. And so let me give you an ancient answer to this, because we're not the first culture to ever struggle with this. We're, ever since there have been human beings who can acquire things and, and come up with some sort of market economy, you know, where we're buying and selling goods, we, we've struggled with this. And, and this was a problem in the ancient world as well, in the Roman Empire in a period of peace called the Pax Roman. Romana uh, in the first century, Jesus spoke to a crowd and, and he talked about this consumption thing and, and what it will do to us and how it will affect us. And so he tells a parable, he tells the story, and I want to set it up in Luke chapter 12. We're going to put it up on the screen, uh, but I want to read it from the, the New Testament here. Listen to uh, the conversation Jesus has going into uh, the parable that he tells 
Luke chapter 12, we'll start with verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to, invite the, to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So that sets up the parable he's about to tell, but let's just, let's just pick this apart a little bit. Jesus is talking to the crowds all the time, and somebody in the crowd speaks up, and he says, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, that's a cool move that that guy's pulling, if you think about it, because you can imagine, if we're going to imagine some backstory here, here's this guy and his brother, their parents have died, and they're arguing over the inheritance. Ancient problem or a modern problem? both, right? Like, I still hear of families that struggle with this, of dividing up, and my brother did this, and my sister, and there's like, and then we don't get together at Thanksgiving anymore, and then one of them dies, and they haven't seen each other for 20 years, and they come to the funeral. Like, that stuff still happens, right? So they're having this problem. Hey, I've got this inheritance coming to me. Tell my brother to divide it. And, and, you, and you wonder, like, if they go to hear Jesus preach, like, were they fighting about it on the way there? You know, like, like, well, let me ask you this way. Have you ever fought on the way to church in the car? Have you ever done that, or is that just me? They're like, what, what is that? I've, I remember just as a kid growing up, like, I felt like Sunday mornings was the time we were going to get into a fight as a family. And, was, and, I, and I don't know, that's a weird thing. I, it might be, I don't know, Satan? I don't know, someone trying to, like, keep you, but you're, like, you're like fighting with your, whoever you're traveling, you know, your spouse, your family, you're like, oh, so, you know, and you're saying all this stuff, and you're like, let's go, shut up, we're going to go praise Jesus. Come on, let's go and get in the church. And, uh, and it's hard. It's one of the reasons I'm glad I don't have to drive to get to the bird theater, so I don't have to deal with that, you know? I mean, so if we fight at home, you know, and I've felt it, you know, because you, and you've probably felt it too. You're like, oh, so frustrated with you. And they're like, fine, we're not going today because you're so mad at each other. I can't go like this. I can't go and pretend to be happy. We're not going today. You've probably had that conversation, right? I've had it too. But then I think, oh, I'm the preacher. Dang it, I have to go. What am I going to think? Oh, I, I can't not show up. So I'm like, oh, fine, I'm going to go preach today. This is not, not a good look. Um, so maybe that's what's going on. They're having this fight over inheritance, and this guy's like, you know what I'm going to do? Jesus is like the rock star rabbi that everybody's listening to. He's like a really good teacher. He's, really, he's great. I'm going to get his opinion. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stand there in the crowd, and I'm going to have him weigh in on my brother's inheritance. My brother, my brother stands right there, and he's going to hear Jesus say it, and then he's going to be convicted, and it's going to be awesome. Hey, Jesus, uh, could you weigh in on this? Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus says, man, who made me the judge? It's a good question. It's true, right? He's not the arbitrator. It's not his role, right? He's like, who made me the judge? But I think the reason Jesus asks it, and then what he says next, is because when Jesus gets at this stuff, he's not getting at the question that's being asked or the issue that's being raised. He goes after the issue underneath the issue. What is the real motive of the heart here? And the guy says, tell my brother to split the inheritance. And Jesus goes you know what? Life's just not about stuff. Be aware of every kind of greed in your heart, in your life. And he tells us to the whole crowd. Life is bigger than this. And the guy thinks, oh, I just want him to be fair and share it with me. And Jesus goes, no, you don't. You just want a bucket of money. And that's what's really going on. Let's just put it out on the table and be honest about it. So he challenges him. And, and says, look, your life is about more than stuff. Consumption will not make it better. So then he tells this parable, verse 16. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. 
I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. All right, first of all, he's just telling a story, right, about this fictitious guy. But this guy uh, is already wealthy, has a lot of land, and one year in an agrarian society, if there's rain and there's good sunshine and all that, like the crops were good. And this guy makes a lot off of it. So a rich man got richer in this story. I want you to notice, because we don't live in an agrarian society, at least notice this, that, um, that, that Jesus is saying that this guy's wealth or this guy's prosperity isn't necessarily a product of his own hard work. I'm sure he does his job well and whatever, but the land was good. It was just a good year. And, and, I, and although we don't live where we're dependent on the crop cycle, typically in our jobs, there are things in the economy and there are things that are happening that sometimes a year is good for you, not just because you're so awesome and you work so hard, but because it just is. It just is the economy. It just is your industry. And, and that, should, that should humble us. We, we, we may say, oh man, I, I did so well this year because I worked so hard. And you may have worked hard, but you probably don't work as hard as a Sherpa in Tibet. You probably don't work as hard as your granddaddy did in the mill, right? But you work hard and in a time that you didn't ask to be born into, in a time and a country that you didn't ask to be born into. You work so hard in a time and country that, that rewards that kind of thing. So you're in the right place at the right time and you did well. And not to take away from your hard work because you probably put in the hours, but just to say at the very minimum, we should have gratitude to God and say thank you. If, if, if things have been good, if this has been a good year, say thanks to God. Man, I, I, thank you so much for how you orchestrated things behind the scene that I have no control over and, and really made it, Go. So continuing on, the guy says, what am I going to do with all this money? Tough problem to have, right? I have more than I need. And he, and he says, uh, I, and, and his struggle really is that he makes too much. Some people have that problem, okay? Like, it's, we're not talking about putting food on the table. We're not talking about rent. He's got all of that well covered. He's like, man, I have so much. What am I going to do? How am I going to handle this? And his solution is, I'm going to tear down my barns and build bigger barns. Right? I'm going to build a larger storage for all my stuff. How much of, is that like our own culture? If you have too much, do you downsize? Not often in our culture do we downsize. I mean, there's a simplify movement, that kind of thing going on. But generally in our culture, if you have too much, you say, well, I better get more space. I need more land. I need a big yard. I need this because uh, we need this room. We need that one room in our house that nobody sits in that just has the nice furniture in it. Like, I need all these things, right? Um, it... it there's some exemptions to that, but generally that's our, our culture, a consumption culture. We say, I got, I'm doing well, I need to tear down my barn and get a bigger barn, a bigger house, a bigger neighborhood, whatever. And listen to what he says, verse 19. And I will say to my soul, uh, and, I will, uh, and I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. This guy says, and I think this is key, he says to his own soul. So Jesus is saying, this is deep inside the person. He says, I've done so well, I'm killing it. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to party. I'm going to live it up. I'm going to just live the life and enjoy it. Um, and then the kicker is, Jesus says, man, you're kidding yourself. Here's the reality. You're going to end up in a box one day. You're going to be six feet under. It may be today. You don't even know. You're going to die. And then what, what, what will all that stuff matter? 
why are you why are you investing in why are you pouring your life into something that ultimately isn't going to matter and i love how direct jesus is jesus is bold and there's times that i read things that he says or parables that he tells and there's like this politically correct meter that i have that goes off when jesus says things and i'm like whoa man like maybe tone that down a little <laughs> Maybe not be so direct with that dude. I mean, there's, geez, you basically just said this parable, like the dude's going to die, and then your money, you know, what good is your money? Like, I don't know, maybe a nicer way you could say that, uh, maybe be a little softer with that. But, but Jesus does not play. He's not interested in, in playing the games. He is the real creator of the universe, desiring to connect with the real you, as you really are. So lay all of that before God. Don't pretend. Don't play games. Be who you really are before God and, and, and develop a relationship with him. You see, consumption itself isn't necessarily the issue. It doesn't matter what kind of car you drive. You've got a Honda this or a Lexus this, or if you have no car at all, it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you have a, a, an incredibly filled 401k or if you can't afford food. The issue is, are you going to really engage with the creator? Are you... Are, because he wants to engage your heart, and he wants to know what you really, really want. You are a human being made in the image of God, and you're called to be in a real relationship with your creator. And what's, what could stand in the way of you being in a relationship with your creator? Greed. Honestly, greed. Our modern problem. We can pursue that. We can pursue stuff and money more than anything else in the world, and it gets in our way. So how have Christians applied this kind of lesson, this kind of idea. One of them is what we talked about last week. We talked about fasting, as, and as particularly strategic fasting, of giving up food so that others can have food. Um, that, that's one way it's been. Also, Christians have just given money away. They've sold things. They've taken the money. They support. A lot of you do that. Uh, you give money to this church. You give money to the projects that we're supporting. Um, and so a lot of people have done that throughout history do that today. Uh, and Christianity grew from the year 330 to 350 AD. The Christianity grew like wildfire. And the reason it grew is because Christians were generous. It didn't grow because sermons were great, music was great, everyone wore skinny jeans, and they had cool moving lights and unnecessary scarves. Uh, Christianity grew because Christians put their money where their mouth is. Christians said, I'm I really love Jesus, and it's going to change the way I act. Not just what I believe, not just the thought I've had. It's going to change what I do with my food, with my money, with my time, with my marriage, with everything. Um, and, and people looked in the ancient world, people looked at Christians, and they're like, whoa, these, these guys are serious. This is what we call in this church love beyond reason. Christians love God, love people, love their city, love their culture. They, they loved and served people to an unreasonable level, and that love compelled them to go out and, and be generous towards God and towards their neighbor. Uh, this year, for Advent, the se season we're in right now, we are partnering with a group called Generosity Feeds, and we're trying to raise $40,000 to make 40,000 meals that will be distributed throughout the city through the public schools and some other spaces as well. And we're working with an organization called Generosity Feeds. I want you to hear from them. Check out this video, and then I'm going to introduce you to someone from that group. Generosity Feeds is more than just an organization. We are a movement determined to give hope to children in need, to stamp out hunger, and end the poverty cycle through our nation's children. This starts right here where you live. 
Generosity Feeds ignites community transformation by mobilizing thousands of people just like you to take action. In less than two hours, our food packing events coordinate hundreds of community volunteers of all ages to come together and package tens of thousands of meals. They carefully measure the ingredients and combine them into the labeled bags, heat seal them shut, and then package 50 meals into each of the boxes. Every Generosity Feeds event creates thousands of delicious and nutritious meals that stay right there in that community. They're given to the local school systems that distribute the meals discreetly to the children in need. These easy to prepare meals help bring families together. They inspire hope and change lives. Through our teamwork with your local schools, Generosity Feeds is providing a healthy solution to child hunger all across America, and we have already packaged over a half million meals. With your help, we will package millions more meals in every community across the country. Generosity Feeds is making a difference, and we want you to join us. All right, would you all welcome Aaron Beckner from Generosity Feeds. Aaron, thank you for coming out here and talking with us about it. Uh, we're really excited about this partnership and uh, have been planning for this for months. I'm excited about the partnership. Why are you excited about this partnership with Area 10 and with Feedmore? Because they're in the, in the mix as well. So personally, I'm excited because Area 10's my home church. Woo woo. Woo woo. Oh. That's just woo woo. <laughs> just woo. Area 10 is my home church, but my job has me traveling a lot on the weekends. So for me, church becomes podcasts on a plane. So this is a chance for me to share what I do with my church, and that's just awesome. For Generosity Feeds, Area 10 tends to go big. So most events start out at 10,000 meals. You heard Chris mention 40,000. A little bigger than normal. So just to be part of making that happen is awesome. And then Feedmore is an amazing organization. They are, for Richmond, often viewed as the solution to hunger, not just part of the solution. So anytime we get the chance to work with an organization like that is just neat and a lot of cool. fun. And we'll hear from Feedmore. Uh, they're going to be up with us here next weekend. Uh, how do you think this project's going to help people and the city of Richmond? Like, how's it all going to flow? I'm going to give you a really long answer on that. Okay. So six years ago, Generosity Feeds started, and I'm one of the founding members. And anytime you do something big like that, you tend to talk to your mom. You share what's going on in your life. And as I talked to my mom, I started to recognize that things that she was sharing about my childhood matched up with these moms and dads that I was meeting all across the country that had children that struggled to, to eat on the weekends or after school. And so one day... I got on the phone with my mom and I was sharing with her some stuff that had happened and I said, mom, I need to ask you a question. I said, I don't care what the answer is, I just need to know. And I said, mom, was I one in five? Was I one of these kids growing up? And she went dead silent. If, you've ever, if you ever meet my mom, you know that's really weird. <laughs> she talks nonstop. I had to ask her twice. And even then, there was a long pause. And she said yes. And what I found out is, is that when I was in school, or I was at my dad's on the weekend, my church would come in and put food in our fridge and in our cupboards. So while I never knew an abundance, I always knew that we were taken care of, that we were okay. So for me, 
this is a chance to give back to Richmond and to make sure that a kid like me gets to grow up being a kid and a mom like my mom doesn't have to know what it's like to put their kid to bed hungry. Wow. Wow, I did not know that. Uh, well, what is the, then, what is the, uh, what's the thing you'd leave us with then? What, um, what do people need to know about food in Richmond, you know, sort of this issue, or maybe just what do we need to know about Generosity Feeds? Just, what do you got? So, childhood hunger in America looks different than anywhere else in the world. It's very easy for a, a child here to go to school and be completely missed. Um, your kids look just like the other kids, things like that. What we find as we talk to educators, counselors, social workers all across the country is that children are being labeled as learning disabled, they're being labeled as problem children and things like that. Oftentimes, they're hungry kids. So when we can start taking care of that basic need for them, mm -hmm. they get to learn, they get to tr thrive, and we can change the trajectory for that child. So what we want to do is, is we want to take one by one and change the math for these kids on childhood hunger so that they can grow up and thrive and then be part of breaking that cycle. That's awesome. Awesome. So we've got the opportunity uh, to package 40,000 meals, which is going to take a long time. It takes hours to do that, right? That's, that's like... It'll be four hours. Four hours. Okay. So we're doing 10,000 uh, an hour. A quick math I ran on that. Uh, so we'll do that, and that's January 6th. It's a Saturday. You need to sign up. We, we, we have a link on our website. It goes through Generosity Feeds. We sign up. We need hundreds and hundreds of volunteers to come together and do this, all the way down to, I think, age three or something like that. Three and up can participate. Yeah, so, so it's going to be a really great day, and it's going to be an incredible way to start off the year. Uh, we are going to give uh, this month to, to gather the resources, and then we'll come together next month and, and do the project. So super excited. Thanks for taking the time to be with us, Aaron. Absolutely. Thank right. you, guys. It's a great opportunity uh, for us to not just look at 2017 and how God has blessed and, and not just go, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to say to my soul that I will tear down my barns and build bigger barns. Uh, no, we have an opportunity to say, no, in, instead, I'm going to be generous to my, to my neighbors. Um, at Area 10, we talk about change lives, committed leaders, community impact. And this is a great way to have community impact that I think can, can really affect lives in, a, in our city. Um, and, and it's going to be good for the people we serve, and it's going to be good for us because we need to find some exits off of the consumption superhighway. It will be better for our own souls if we, if we do this. Um, and maybe and one more reason I want to give you why we, we need to take some strategic steps away from consumption um, is that, uh, you know, because... What I'm afraid is you're going to hear what I'm saying at Christmas and go, Chris, you've just ruined Christmas for us. Like, thanks so much. Like, now you're just saying, don't, you know, don't buy anything. And I'm not saying don't buy anything. I'm saying we need to be thoughtful and not get all caught up in this. Um, but, but another reason why we need to do that, I think, uh, is, is this. Um, I don't think God is fundamentally a cheapskate God. Okay? So you may hear this and go, man, the church, they're saying, like, don't buy anything awesome and, like, instead do this other thing. Like, I don't think God is a cheapskate God. If you look at the, the gifts he has given to creation, um, and, and so many of them are just because, or they're just fun, or they're just, I mean, when you, when you get an image of heaven in the New Testament, when it describes what paradise is like in the future, it says the streets are paved with gold. Gold! 
for a, for a, for a road project. This is, this is a God who's like, yeah, I'll, let's do nice stuff. This isn't like a cheapskate, right? This, this is God who takes the thing we think is most precious, and in paradise, it's like the thing you walk on. Isn't that, isn't that crazy? So God is not a cheapskate God, and I think we do a disservice to our souls and to our relationship with God when we consume, consume, and just dispose of things and treat everything as if it's disposable. We are called to be conservationists, to, to be stewards of creation. That's the second command God gives in the Bible. You know, the first is be fruitful and multiply, and the second is take care of this stuff. Take care of this place. Make something great out of it. And you see that all throughout the scripture. There's this conservation bent. We, we can't treat everything as if it's disposable and cheap. Yes, some things are disposable and cheap, like a Kleenex. But not everything is. And, and not nearly as much is what, like what we treat. Um, we treat so many things as if they're disposable and cheap. And, 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 and that ought not to be. Um, because when we do that, when we, when we use and throw away, we end up just becoming consumers who are there to drive up the GDP. We are no longer citizens. We are no longer human beings. We are no longer creature, creatures created by a loving God and supposed to be in a relationship with him. Um, we, somewhere along the line when we just purchase and throw away, we end up cheapening everything. And in, and in the process, we cheapen our, our own lives. Uh, the last line of that song that Landon sang, the song's called Hymn 101. Uh, the last line was this, but will you recognize my face when God's awful grace strips me of my jacket and my vest and reveals all the treasure in my chest? Um, you know, I think about that and, and I think, okay. And I think what it's getting at is once all the stuff is gone, like who are you? And, and, and God's grace can actually open you up that way and reveal what's really going on in, in, inside of you. Um, who are you really? Because I don't, as much as games we like to play and pretend that we are something and put on airs and, and have a persona and all that kind of stuff, I don't think God is surprised at any of that. God isn't like, oh, I didn't know you were like that. Like an all-knowing, all-loving God knows who you really are, for better or worse, right? Like it's, it, that can be uh, comforting or terrifying, God knows who you really are, and so it's not a surprise to him. But I wonder if who we really are would be a surprise to us sometimes. I wonder if in our consumption, in our, like, I don't want to deal with who I really am. Instead, I want to gather things around me and just keep acquiring so I don't have to think about it or, or deal with it. So maybe a practical step you can take from all this is, is this. Uh, when you purchase something, um, and I don't mean like, you know, your standard groceries or whatever. I don't want you to like get paranoid when you're in Kroger. Um, but when you make purchases, it's just worth thinking about and considering like, hey, what is going on in my heart here? Because you know when you're, you're on tilt about a purchase. You know when you have to have that thing, whatever that thing is. What is going on in you? What is going on in your heart? And maybe you have a little check-in with yourself there for a minute and say, why do I want this so bad? Is this just me trying to tear down my barns to build bigger barns? Or, or will this purchase start me down that road? 
that I don't want to go down. And, and, and maybe just evaluate as you ask for things or as you uh, acquire things um, what's going on there because you can go down that road and, and it, it tends to not stop. God designed us to be creatures who are in a relationship uh, with uh, each other and with him. We are designed, designed not to be consumers to be, but to be creators and conservationists. And so let's, let's, uh, let's walk that road together. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the Advent season, how we um, have a chance to focus, to think about what it, what it means. We sing songs of come Emmanuel. We, we, we long for Christmas. We long for the celebration of the birth of Christ, of how you intervened in the world, just as Israel longed for their Savior um, but God, I, I pray that um, our lifestyles and even all the way to our purchases uh, lines up with what we say we believe, with, with um, our desire for, for you. I, I pray that there's an alignment there, that we um, really pursue you in this season, um, that we pray, that we get together with others, that we love, that we serve, that we pour out for others um, out of our devotion for you. Um, Thank you, God, for so many in this room who, um, who give generously and sacrificially and faithfully to this church, to the, to the work that we're doing in the city and around the world. Um, and I pray that uh, this, this December we are generous and that uh, going into next year we have an incredibly generous year as a church where we pour out blessing after blessing all over this city. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.